Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Julie R. from California, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, April 13th. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are at page 53, first paragraph, Logic is Great Stuff. The reference number for Tuesday, April 12th, is 8647. Today's readers are Rachel W., L and Carmela G. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Deanna B. to read the 12 steps. Thank you, Julie. My name is Deanna B. from Chicago. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. I'll pass. Thank you, Deanna B. I will now ask Christine M. to read the 12 Traditions. Yes, hello, everyone. Good morning. My name is Christine M., and I am a grateful, recovered, compulsive reader. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants they do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group has 
I'm sorry, for each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive reader who still suffers. Six, an OA name ought never endorse finance or lending. OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise lets problems of money, property, and prestige avert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, AA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles for per- before personalities. And thank you for letting me do service. I pass. Thank you, Christine M. And I'd like to say that today's readers are Rachel W., Du L., and Carmela G. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses in, on the directions for our recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topics. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book on page 53, the first paragraph, Logic is Great Stuff. I will now ask Rachel W. to begin reading. Good morning, Julie. This is Rachel W., Recover Compulsive Reader calling from New York. Thank you for your service, and good morning, everyone. Thank you. Um, logic is great stuff. Logic is great stuff. We liked it. We still like it. It is not by chance we were given the power to reason, to examine the evidence of our senses, and to draw conclusions. That is one of man's great, magnificent attributes. We agnostically inclined would not feel satisfied with a proposal which does not lend itself to reasonable approach and interpretation. Hence, we are at pains to tell why we think our present faith is reasonable why we think it more sane and logical to believe than not to believe, why we say our former thinking was soft and mushy when we threw up our hands in doubt and said, we don't know. And um, just setting my timer, I just would like to share on this. It's such an amazing uh, paragraph, such a beautiful book. And, um, and you know, if, if we were living in a, in a previous era, like near the Fertile Crescent, you know, all the way back, we would be, you know, encouraged to consider the meaninglessness of life, you know, like that life really has no meaning, that we're just kind of here and, and uh, we go back into the earth and that's it. And, and, um, 
and here we're being, you know, encouraged to to consider a higher power, you know, that there is more than what we see. Um, so this isn't the first time that people have been encouraged to believe in something else, but it is the first time that that someone is, you know, pointing this out to alcoholics. And um, and you know what this is for me is the my logic is is what got me here. You know, the, my thinking and my reasoning. Um, you know, with a belief in, in God, you know, with a belief when, in a spirituality that I had, yet it was limited. I, I kept blocking it. And I, and I tell myself, that's why this chapter resonates with me so much, is that there are moments in my program where I do consider myself an agnostic because I say to myself, well, if I really do have a belief in, in, a, in a higher power, then um, let me put the pedal to the metal and really prove it, you know, prove my faith. And um, sometimes, you know, it's, it's more challenging. But, you know, the, the moment in my, in my um, coming back after relapse, you know, people ask me so often, like, what, what was that one moment? And there were so many moments in coming back that, that um, you know, that when I, when I got my absence again. But I do remember the, the thing that really propelled me to the other side to, that got me, that launched me into abstinence was that I did use my logic and I used it like, you know, Bill W. says we can use our instincts um, for the good or that we can, we can align them in these steps. And that's what I did. And I took my logic and I said to myself, you know, in, in step seven, you know, when we say my creator in, this, in, the, in the prayer, you know, then I thought to myself, well, if I really believe there's something else out there, then that something else, you know, there, this idea of a disease and, and all, all these things were here before me. You know, alcoholism was here before me. And that means that there was something else always. So I can believe that, this, that God, you know, who has un- unconditional love, you know, also brought about this challenge for me to get through it and to come out on the other side with an even more, you know, greater faith and a more, um, if I just do these actions every day, lean into these steps every day and keep picking up these steps, you know, I'm continually enlarging my relationship with, with God, with my higher power. And um, it's keeping me out of my disease and out of my own logic, which, which didn't work. And, and I have to just keep reminding myself that my own thinking you know, doesn't work. And I have to just keep applying these steps to my life. And I can maintain that, that, um, you know, the freedom from, from, from the bondage of the food. So thank you for allowing me to share. Thank you, Rachel W. And who would like to share on this paragraph? This is Bella. Can I share? Okay, Bella. Melanie C. Melanie. Okay. Melissa C. Sharon H. Sharon H. <clears throat> okay, well, we will start with that. Okay, Bella G, go Tina ahead. S. Oh, Tina S. Okay, go ahead, Bella. Good morning. Thank you very much. My name is Bella G, and I am a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Julie, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. Wow, we don't know. Wow, for me, it's such a relief, it's such a freedom that now that I am in the program and thank you, God, I am living the 12 steps, for me, it's a freedom to say, I don't know, because before the program, I I had to know everything, and if I didn't know, it brought me to a people pleaser, to jealousy, like, how come you know and I don't know? I was 
ashamed and afraid to say, I don't know. I have to know everything because if I will say I don't know, people will realize that I, do, I, that I am not smart and, and this is why I am overweight. And, you know, I prefer to be quiet all the time. I, I lived in fear. In, I was scared. I was scared for my own self. Thank you, God. I, for me now, it's a freedom that I can say, I don't know. And this is my freedom because, yes, I am human and I am limited. And this is the way that I was created. And it doesn't mean that I have to stay all the time in this level. I can learn. I can learn all the time from everybody. You know, we are all here human. I can, I can learn all the time. And it doesn't mean nothing. And for me today, I, I, am, I am so happy that I am able to say, I don't know, and I am willing to know, to know different. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella G. And Melanie C., you're next. Hi, good morning, everyone. My name is Melanie C., and I'm calling in from Oregon. Logic is great stuff. I love it. I consider myself quite heady. I take a situation and I examine it and I love to discuss it with somebody else, come up with some great reasons why, and it's just so satisfying to me. I can't even begin to tell you. And yet there are some times that it crossed over into a realm of too much self-reliance and then it kind of awakened my ego. So it became pretty problematic. And through the 12-step recovery, I have learned a distinctive difference between how and when to rely upon that, where that goes, what it's doing for me, and when to be very careful about that. And that came through clearly from working the steps. But when I was thinking about this and reading this paragraph this morning, what really came to mind was what we've read before in the big book about kind of the scientific approach, the mindful approach, the, the, the numbers approach, which I am so attracted to. And when all that's done, when all that's said, I can line up, I can test, and I can see, and I can prove factually something. And then I plug the cord into the wall, and this thing happens with all the planning, with all the debate, with all the logic, I plug this thing in the wall and something happens. And I get this, oh, wow, oh, wow, all that stuff that we knew in our minds, we debated, and it was so logical, we knew it had to work, but there was this element that said, wow, it really worked. It really worked. That's faith. That's that peace that says that there is something beyond me that's wonderful, that's magical, that's really guiding all this stuff. I had a conversation yesterday with somebody, with one of our fellows in program, when we were talking about convention. And I got a chance to be able to describe what went on with the people that did the planning of that, the, the conversations, the meetings, the research, the differences that were going on and then bringing it back and, and trying to see how we could come together and build the bridge on what was going to be the very best teacher about recovery for the fellows that were going to come seeking that. 
lot of work, a lot of head stuff went on in that. And then we came. We came to that place. We came to that hotel convention center, and we descended upon that thing. And throughout the entire weekend, I was blown away time after time after time that there's something that went on after that 15 months of planning that we could have never planned. We could have never planned. And I we that stop that doubt, you know, that there's something out there, but something out there that shifted from that clear idea of putting it to place that we left it in the hands of something greater than us. That's what builds this deal, this difference between where I was at as agnostic and where I'm at today. And with that, I pass. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Melanie C. And Melissa C., you're next. Hi, good morning. It's Felicia C. Recovered, compulsive over here in New York. And, um, you know, when I read this and I hear, like, logic and um, the ability to draw conclusions and to make sense and reason, um, you know, those were the things that I really relied on, and that's what I always prided myself on, on my ability to think. I, you know, fairly intelligent person and um, and lived, you know, a really rich life in my head. I did a lot of thinking, um, you know, and yet this disease defied all logic, you know. Here I am saying this doesn't make sense, that this makes sense, and, you know, this is logical and drawing lots of conclusions, and yet I couldn't... <laughs> I couldn't uh, draw the conclusion that what I was doing was killing me and that I consistently kept on doing the thing that was hurting me and not doing the things that would help me. You know, and so there was no logic there, and yet I kept clinging to whatever little piece of logic I thought I had and saying that this, you know, this was hokey, this higher power thing, this God thing was illogical and made no sense. And, um, you know, it wasn't until my disease really put me in a position where um, I felt like I was suffering from paranoia. I couldn't um, tell what was real and what was imagined. You know, I was so um, in the bondage of myself. I was so self-conscious and so um, overly sensitive and bristly that um, I began to get glimmers that, I was losing my logic. I was losing my clear-headedness because it couldn't all be me, you know, and yet, yeah, it was all me, you know, and um, and so this higher power thing, you know, was far more reliable, far more logical because all I needed to do was to listen and look and to see people that were living happy, joyous, and free and living the way that I want to live. You know, people said that they weren't in bondage by the food anymore. And so it only made logic that what they were doing was had to be better than what I was doing and that it was going to be on a belief, you know, something that I couldn't see necessarily, but I could see it work. You know, I could see it working. Thank you. But that'll count. Thank you, Melissa C. And Sharon H., you're next. Good morning, Julie, and thank you for your service. This is Sharon H., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Colorado, by God's grace. And um, I just love this paragraph, like I love every paragraph in this book, because today 
I choose to believe by God's grace that it speaks the truth and that I must just follow it, the directions precisely like they're laid out in this book. And I had been in uh, Overeaters Anonymous since 1981, and with just a very short period of five years in the 90s, my abstinence was get abstinent, fall away, get abstinent, fall away. And so in in 2012, I began to listen to this program. And uh, the doctor's opinion came alive in my my mind. And uh, just the other day at a meeting, uh, it was stated, you know, we didn't create ourselves. We didn't create our intellect. We didn't create anything, actually, you know. We're the creatures. And um, <clears throat> so, but I, over that period of time, became very... Uh, cynical and skeptical, um, you know, I've done this, I've done this, I've done the inventories, blah, 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 blah. And what I see today is that my complacency of not staying um, firmly rooted in steps 10, 11, and 12, just like it says in the big book, we only get a daily reprieve. Over time, I lived in the bedevilments. And so logic is great stuff as far as it goes. But, you know, I have an obsessive mind with so many mental twists that can come in. And so today and through this program, I received a prayer that I had never heard of before that tells me that I have to set aside everything I think I know about myself, this disease, these steps, how to deal with people, places, and situations, and especially you, God. And that has made all the difference in the world to me. My, um, you know, I didn't, what I didn't see, which I saw so clearly in the forward to the first edition, and I didn't believe, therefore I could not go any further because it was a foundation of lies. I did not believe I had a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. Today, I do believe that to the core of my being, and I'm so grateful to be a part of this program, and I'm so grateful you are here, too. And I, by God's grace, got to go to that convention and meet so many of you face-to-face. What a privilege that was. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Julie, and welcome to those out on the line. Thank you, Sharon H. And Tina S., you're next. Thanks, Julia. Tina S. Compulsive Eater, anorexic in Florida. And uh, wow, what a powerful paragraph. You know, I love that logic stuff also. You know, I don't think I'm here by mistake. And, and I still like it. But one of the things that had to happen for me with my, my great thinking and my magic, mag- magnificent mind was I had to get to a place of, uh, I had to get beaten to a place of reasonableness. And I think that's what it talks about. You know, we get to that place of a reasonable thinking. And, and what happened for me, once I exhausted all my efforts, my efforts on my own, you know, I started seeing in my life where this thing was working for other people. And they weren't reliant. They weren't self-reliant. They were God-reliant. And, I, and when I first heard that, I wasn't, all, I wasn't on board. You know, I was not on board because I had an idea of God that did not work for me at the time. But what happened through the process of the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and Overeaters Anonymous was this transformation that came about when, you know, I was defeated in step one and I cannot stay there for sure. I'll just live in the disease. You know, I came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. And, And I loved what was shared, you know, through the process through the process of the transformation, you know, one day at a time, you know, I am not powerless. I am empowered with a power greater than myself. And, 
and, and, and I can do this deal, you know, and I don't have to know. The meeting I went to last night was on the reading of for today. You know, I don't know. And, um, you know, what a relief that can be. What a freedom to, you know, if somebody asks a question and I don't know, I just say, sorry, don't know. Don't feel like I'm stupid or, you know, I'm beneath or, or above, whatever. But, you know, the good news today, and it's already been shared, is one day at a time, you know, I don't have to live in the disease of compulsive eating, and I have an opportunity to give service to God and to those about me with that a pass. Thank you, Tina S. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Hi, this is Larry. Carol G. Before Larry, I heard somebody maybe named Tracy. Tracy T. G. Okay. So I have Tracy, Larry, and... Katie G. Kate. Before Katie, there was another person. Was it Carol G? Yes. Thank you, Carol. Sorry. Okay, we'll start with Tracy T. Yes, this is Tracy T. from New York, and um, a compulsive, recovering compulsive overeater. Um, my thoughts are that I have no doubt 100% that the 12 steps work. And what we hear being described in the big book, that there's hope there. You know, there's hope, and and these people just kept putting their right foot in front of the left foot. I I know I still get tripped up. Um, I don't, at this point, it, it's all me. I don't need, I, I still need to keep reading the book, but I, I know for a fact that what's reading truly was a gift that was given to all these people who wrote in the book. I do believe that there, there was a true surrenderance to the higher power. And what, you know your disease is still still somewhat active in you when um, you believe all this, and yet you keep finding yourself um, doing things your way again with, with almost innocently, unconsciously not even realizing it. And it's like trying to stay in that conscious state of mind on a daily basis. And so it's true about, um, I do believe, the importance of the nighttime, the daily reflections each night. And just that effort putting forth, put forth to do that, that, that there will be a reprieve and a little bit of an extra nudge and encouragement in the morning to start that way. Um, but it's, it, what's great is that the issue is just me, that whether or not where I'm at, that that higher power is still there and that those promises are still there and that the gifts are still there. So the hope is always there, no matter whether I'm weighing 100 pounds down or up. I just have to climb back up for it. And with that, I'll stop. Thank you. I'll pass. Thank you, Tracy T. And Larry K., you're next. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you, Larry K., Recovered Compulsive Reader. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to stick on, just on that theme of logic because, you know, logic, um, I love logic and I love reason and I love thinking and I love analysis and all those things. Um, I did before I came into program and I still do. Um, and yet, um, you know, I couldn't deny that I, that I, I, I remained stuck and I thought that you were all getting it and, and I wasn't, and it wasn't fair and I didn't like it, you know, and, you know, I mean, you know, the, even if you think of the, the problem of human consciousness, like, you know, in, you know, in thinking about 
thinking, we have to use thought. You know, our, our brains are like these computational machines. Um, and, and, and so presumably they're these, these computational machines that we call our brains, you know, they're, they're subject to the same fundamental limits in, in, in our ability to reason. So, you know, so for me, the, you know, what allows, you know, my human mind to establish that there are limits beyond which I cannot think, you know, and that's, that's the riddle. And I, I don't have the answer for that. I, I just know this much. I know that at some point I picked up this spiritual toolkit, call it whatever you want. You picked up some steps and I worked them to the best of my ability. I couldn't work them beyond my ability. I, I worked them to the best of my ability. And when I did, something happened. I like what Melanie said. You know, you, you know something happened. I can't deny that something happened. You know, today, I'll just leave it with this. Today, um, is, is it possible I could pick up my substances after all these years? Who knows? It is possible in the same way that anything, I suppose, is possible. But all I know is that I have not found it necessary going through a lot of stuff, just like you, a lot of life stuff. And I have nonetheless not found it necessary to pick up my substance in a long, 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 long time. And that is a fact. And that's just one of many uh, facts that I rely on. So when I thought, well, it's available to all of you, but not to me, that's what my reason told me. But I was wrong. And thank God for, for Alcoholics Anonymous. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks so much. Thank you, Larry Kay. And Carol G., you're next. Star one to unmute. Good morning, Julie. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, thank you. It's Carol G, uh, compulsive overeater, recovered just for today. And good morning, vision for you. Um, I was just looking at that word senses, um, the power to reason, but to examine the evidence of our senses. Uh, it's reminding me of step one that. You know, I numbed out all my senses on food um, because my my nerves, my senses were all on red alert. They were on red alert all the time. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah, it was almost as if, like, for example, if I was having a conversation with somebody, I couldn't hear them. I could see them, but my mind was too busy planning what I was going to eat next or what I wasn't going to eat next. I was constantly in terror and fear and panic my senses were always on red alert, either what will I have to eat or when will I go back to the food? And I needed something else to take away that pain. I needed some more ease and comfort that was something that wasn't food. I needed something else. And I was stuck in this vicious cycle. Even recalling it now in my mind makes me feel distressed because it never seemed as if it had an end. It went on and on and on and on. And I had all this evidence of the mess I'd made of my life and the mess I continued to make of my life. But I reasoned it out with somebody because I used logic to deal with it. 
I was using logic to deal with something that didn't require logic. It required a spiritual experience. And I noticed that this disease wanted to keep me a prisoner. And I glimpsed some freedom years ago when I came to Overeaters Anonymous. And I'm sure everybody's had this experience. You'll have these mini awakenings somewhere in your OA history where you feel that spirit within move you or the program moves you, or the camaraderie, or the togetherness with each other moves you, and you think, wow, there's an exit door, and then shiny things, or life, or those overstressed senses get back in the way, and you just can't get back to where it was, and you spend all your time trying to make that happen again. That's what I did. And science just hasn't found a cure for us. So I'm going to have to give spiritual alchemy a chance. I used to hate how my body would feel really full, and it would say, stop, please stop. But I had to keep on going. Once my stomach was overstretched, it forced me to eat more. I couldn't come to my senses. I couldn't use my senses. They didn't work for me. I had to find something else. And I've come to my senses today because I'm recovered. That doesn't mean I'm perfect. I've still got to deal with life. But what's changed is that I don't have that pain anymore. And it happens in that very next paragraph. I'm going to make a choice. Either I want to work this program or I don't. And for me, my life depended on it. And that's why I always come to Vision for You. That's why I go to Overeaters Anonymous and that's why I follow the AA literature. Welcome to your day, everybody. Welcome to your day. Thank you. Napa. Thank you, Carol G. And Katie G., you'll be our last one on this paragraph. Go ahead. Awesome, Julie. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Awesome. Thanks for your service. Good morning, everyone. This is KG, Recovered Compulsive Overeater Anorexic and Bulimic. And, um, you know, for so long, I worshipped my mind and um, I worshipped the ideas in my mind that if I could be thin and have big boobs and be blonde, then everything would be okay, right? And um, the disease pummeled me in terms of compulsive overeating. And I came into these rooms and I was like, whatever I'm doing isn't working. I can't do it anymore. And um, that desperation got softer for me um, as life got louder. And I didn't stay committed to entire abstinence or to, um, you know, a sane and sober way of living. And, you know, frankly, my my logic, I would see, I kept going back, like, um, with my exercise, I kept going back because I got into fear, you know, life was handing me these blessings and I got into fear that the blessings were going to go away. So what can I do to manage that fear? So I look outside myself, right? Hey, I'm a compulsive overeater. I cannot manage my own life and be that no human power. That's what we're taught. See, God can and would if he had thought, but I just kept looking. I started to look for external powers and, um, that, pummeled me again, the um, exercise addiction that brought me out of, you know, showing up for work at all and lying and hating myself and hating myself until eating felt like a step up. And um, the best thing I say every day is I don't know, you know, I mean, I was doing, I've been doing some pretty big step tens and um, writing out some letters to God at night, step 11, because God is, you know, uncovering a new level of healing yay, I get to walk through more pain. And um, the blessing is today that I don't want relief. I want freedom. And what I'm finding is that freedom comes 
with sitting through the discomfort, with saying, I don't know, with welcoming spiritual considerations from recovered fellows that tell me things that make me really uncomfortable. Like, actually, Katie, you know, you've got to move on. Actually, Katie, it's not justifiable to... excuse me, act out when somebody else, no matter what they're doing, I need to rise to the occasion. I need to say, God bless them, God heal me, and I need to practice um, kindliness, compassion, patience, and love with everybody that I encounter. I don't know how to do this, guys. My logic, I've been relating to food and anorexia and bulimia my whole life. So the best thing I can say today and practice today is entire abstinence and to say I don't know. To say I don't know, but I do know that these book, this book and God and all of you have the answers, and I'm just going to keep doing it with you guys for one more day. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Katie G. And do L, um, please read the second paragraph on page 53, When We Became Alcoholics. Morning. It says... We, when we became alcoholics crushed by a self-imposed crisis, we could not postpone or evade. We had to fearlessly face the proposition that either God is everything or he is nothing. God either is or he isn't. What was our choice to be? And, wow, this is a small paragraph, but it's very, very powerful because it says that, you know, Crushed by a self-imposed crisis. What is the self-imposed crisis for me? Well, you know, page 62 describes it as selfishness, self-centeredness, driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, self-pity. I place myself in a place to be hurt. You know, I make those decisions to base myself um, in a position to be hurt. And then um, it says that, my troubles are, are of my own making, even though I don't usually think so because I am a person that I am an example of extreme self-will run riot, um, even though I usually don't think so. And, and that's, that's what we're faced with in this um, – I'm sorry, i got to put in my timer. Um, that's what we're faced with with this proposition is is thinking, you know, either God is everything or he is nothing. And what was my choice to be? Well, my choice was I, I, I remember taking this step, you know, second step proposition with my sponsor. I said, well, I, I, I believe God is everything. And she was like, well, that's not the right answer because, you know, your actions show the very opposite that God is nothing. When you are in self-wolverine and riot, when you're making choices on your own and not inviting God in and God is nowhere to be found, uh, that does not demonstrate that God is everything in your life. And, you know, what was my choice to be? Well, I didn't invite God in. That was my, my first choice. Um, in, um, on page, uh, I forgot what page it is now, um, on page... 48, it says that I had to be beaten into a state of reasonableness, you know, that this was a tedious process that was prejudiced for for some of us. And that's what happened to me, you know, that I had to be beaten into the state of accepting that God is everything, you know, because on my own, I was not willing to admit that. 
on my own, I thought I could run the show, that I could control the way I ate. I can control the way I did things. I can control everything. But, you know, bottom line is I couldn't, and I was defeated, and I needed something bigger than myself to get me through. And what, what ended up happening is my choice for God being everything was through my defeat, through my defeat. I had to be beaten down in order for me to accept that I couldn't do this on my own, that I had to have a different way of doing things. And when I accepted that I had to invite God into every decision, every decision that I made in my life, then God slowly but surely became everything in my life because then I was given the strength, the power, and the ability to be able to make other choices, not based on self, but on God-centeredness. And I'm so grateful that, you know, that it is a crushing blow. It is something that, you know, it's not easy, but it's doable. It's doable. And I'm, I'm just so grateful that God took me the route that he did, that today I can appreciate that he is everything in my life, that I need to acknowledge him in all my ways, that I need to set him priority number one before anything else. And in that way, God can infuse in me to be the recovered person that I am today. I can't do this on my own. If I think I can do this on my own or on logic or anything on my own, I'm defeating myself. I am only deluding myself. And with that, I pass. Thank you, too. And who would like to share on this paragraph? Charles H. Sally. Charles. Reva P. Okay, hold on. Charles, Sally. Before Reva P., there was somebody. Renata? Leah yes. Thank you. Leah M. Leia yes, M. Okay, let's see how far we get. Okay. Charles. This is what um, Reba P. Leah M. And Nessa <laughs> R. And Renata is in between Sally. Okay, Charles, go ahead. Thank you, Julie, for your service. Charles H. You're recovered from possible reader just for today. Um, we had to fearlessly face the proposition, the second step, that either God is everything or else he is nothing. You know, and just to touch on the last paragraph, that word logical remind me of um, Star Trek with, Doctor, with, with, with Spock saying, uh, that thing's not logical. You know, uh, so thank, thank God for Dr. Spock and, I mean, Spock and the medical, the medical point of views and all that stuff, but, you know, I, I came to a conclusion, right, um, that that uh, that God, my God is a jealous God, but I also came to a conclusion that I was jealous of God. You know, um, and, and talking about crushed by self-imposed, everything that I did myself, I crushed myself because of this disease. And I had to, and, and, and like always been said on this line, there's only, there's only two, two doors. <laughs> there ain't no door number three. And yesterday I, you know, I put my brother to rest, and I'm on the line today. You know, that's amazing. Um, you know, because of, of, of the addiction, you know, so my God keeps giving me insights like, yo, guess what? If, 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 if you think um, you're God, if you think I'm God, then I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you that power. How can I say that, how can I love that power that I can't see? How can I say I love that power that I can't see 
when I don't even love people that I see on earth? How can I say that? I can't. So I had to come to that conclusion, right, that I love everybody no matter what. Even if I hate you, I love you. Um, I might not like you, but I love you. And, um, you know, I'm just great. My sponsor said, and I will shut up with this, and I know we've got a line up here. Um, my sponsor said to, to highlight the word had to, everywhere in this big book in the first 164 pages, he gave me a week to do it. This was a, a while back. I didn't get it right, but I didn't get them all, but he showed them to me. And that's what I need to be doing to other people because I crush myself by self. Self has to be crushed. I had to come to the conclusion that myself had to be crushed in order to worship something greater than me. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Charles H. and Sally A. Good morning, Julie. Good morning, Edition C. It's Sally in South Jersey. Just turn on my timer here. Um, thanks for letting me share. When we became alcoholics, crushed by a self-imposed crisis. Um, so what I wanted to really speak about is it's so interesting to me that the words we don't know are right above crushed by a self-imposed crisis. And for me, the crushed by a self-imposed crisis, the, the self-imposed crisis was that I was spending my entire life um, counting on me to fix my life, and a sick mind cannot heal a sick mind. Um, so that was the real crux of the matter was that I, even as a Christian, which I'm just going to say it bluntly, for so many years on my knees praying and getting up at 5 in the morning and, and reading my Bible and doing all the things as a Christian, I didn't realize that I was going to God but never trusted God. I was calling my God Lord, but I never let God, my God, be the leader of me and be in charge of me. Never. All the years that I called myself a Christian, I never did that. Crushed by a self-imposed crisis. Yes, I was turning to food. I was, I was turning to TV. I was turning to anything that would make me feel less uncomfortable in my own skin because I was so uncomfortable. I made intellect, my intellect, my reasoning skills, my best thinking, my God. That's what I did. And what I love about this sentence, either God is everything or else God is nothing, for me it's equivalent to page 417 where it says, I've got it memorized, but I'll read it. And it says nothing, absolutely nothing happens in God's world by mistake, and I love that it's right here in this book that it teaches me that I can be at peace because everything is exactly as it's supposed to be. Everything, anything that goes wrong even, is what God intends it to be, and I have to fit myself to it. I no longer have to wrestle within my skin. I can relax and take it easy because I have a God, and it's not me that I can rely on. Thanks for letting me share with that I passed. Thank you, Sally. A, Renata G. Did you call me, Jersey? I did. Go ahead. Uh, I was in the other didn't hear. Uh, thank you very much for your service. Good morning, family. This is Renata G. We covered Composable Radio in New York. Um, we had to fearless face the proposition that either God is everything or else he's nothing. 
God either is or he isn't. What was our choice to be? And, you know, at this point, the big book told me twice already, what were my choices? You know, on page 25, it said that I can go on, you know, to the bitter end or accept the spiritual help. And then on page 44, it says that I can be doomed to an alcoholic death or live on spiritual basis. I mean, if I am a real compulsive reader, which I am, you know, the previous paragraph talks about logic. But, you know, when it, when it, when it came to this disease, my logic didn't work. I was delusional. Because if my logic worked, I would, you know, it would be so logic that, you know, like it says in the doctor's opinion, when I pick up certain substances, I cannot stop. You know, I am out of control and I eat more than I intend to. And I cannot predict when I'll be able to stop. And then, you know, uh, when I finally stop, I cannot stay stopped because my mind always convinced me to go back to those foods that make me go out of control and hate myself and feel shame and guilt and all that stuff. You know, if I could use logic for this disease, then, you know, I would uh, see the reality of those bedevilments in my life every single day. And so, you know, it says here, crushed by a self-imposed crisis. Like when this disease really crushed me, when it really convinced me that I was doomed, that I could not use my human power or any other human power to feel better, to live life happily, to be abstinent and contented, then, you know, I, you know, this idea of either God is everything or else he's nothing. Like what that meant to me was my only choice to recover is to do what these recovered people did, you know, to pick up the spiritual toolkit and go with it because I knew that my past, like I, I could see my past, that everything had failed. I felt utterly hopeless. And so, you know, I was really, thank you, God, blessed with this clarity that I either put all my binge foods down and work the steps as if my life depends on it, or I'm going to die. I'm going to die a slow, miserable death. You know, and just to end, I got this mental picture today. Like, you know, if I have a, an abyss in front of me on a, right, on a left side, you know, sure death. Or on the right side, I have this beaten down, wooden, shaky, not, I don't know, very safe bridge to cross. What, what am I going to choose? You know, I didn't know if the steps were going to work for me, but I, it was my only option. With that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Renata G. And Reva P. Good morning. This is Reva P., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Toronto. This paragraph struck me when I first read the book, even though I don't think I paid much attention to the rest of the chapter, and it still strikes me today. Um, So I'm just going to go through what it means to me. Um, When I became a real compulsive overeater, and when I hit my bottom and reached my step one, um, which I now know is the gift of desperation, although it didn't feel like such a great gift at the time, um, I was crushed. 
I was crushed. And when I visualize something that's crushed, it's not just like a little bit damaged or cracked or a little broken that I can fix it. It was crushed. I was crushed. I could not put myself together. I couldn't try harder one more day because it was just not working. I was at my bottom. Thank you, God. And then it says self-imposed crisis. Self-impose is hinting that perhaps, uh, which I now know for a fact, my problems are of my own making because it wasn't just the food. It was my crazy thinking and mind. Um, And crisis, I was always living in crisis. Everything was equally catastrophic, whether it was an ill family member or I couldn't get something in the kitchen to work. Like everything was equally catastrophic. I was living in drama, high energy all the time. And then I couldn't postpone this. I couldn't go on one more day um, the way I was living and evade. I would have loved to escape. I tried to escape. Um, Food was my escape, but it didn't work after a while. Um, And then I had to. I had no other choices And although I was terrified, and although this was not a logical program, and I didn't come here because I thought being spiritual was a great idea, um, I came here because I couldn't manage one more day with the food. Um, And I knew my life was a mess. I didn't know how much of a mess it was till I got defogged um, from my alcoholic foods. And then it says God either is or isn't. And it's like half measures avail me nothing. I can't be a little bit abstinent and I can't work a couple of the steps because it doesn't work. I don't get results. Either I'm in or I'm not. And this is the second question. I think the first one was 47. Like, am I willing to believe there's another way and what is my choice going to be again? Um, And I make those choices gazillions of times a day um, because it's so easy to just do it the Reva way. Um, And I'm so grateful that the big book makes it very clear, very simple. You want choice one, you want choice two. Are you in or are you not? And then let's move on with the rest of the steps because that's the only way I can get the healing. With that, I pass. Thank you, Reva P. And Leah M., you're next. Thank you very much. Um, I mean, the big book really turns up the heat in this paragraph. There's no uh, wiggle room here. There's no fallback position for me. Uh, This statement, when we became alcoholics crushed by a self-imposed crisis, we could not postpone or evade. I mean, the reality was that I was being destroyed by my own hand under the guise of seeking ease and comfort. I was the creator of my own pain. No one was doing this to me. No one was throwing me to the ground and shoving a 9 by 13 pan of brownies down my gullet. <laughs> you know, and so that's where the big book corners me here, is that I had to realize that the manifestations of self were going to kill me. All the disease and discomfort were within me, because all action is born in thought, Right? I'm making a decision to pick up and destroy myself over and over and over and over again. And even when the food is down, I'm restless, irritable, and discontent. So the big book really cornered me because it made it very clear that those cellophane bags and bakery boxes 
were merely emerging as both a symbol and a symptom of my separation, my alienation from my creator, from God, from, from the true ease and comfort. And so the big book um, corners me here, but it also is going to offer me directions, clear-cut steps that are going to correct this malady of mine and turn me back to that higher power, lead me back to my creator of my understanding. And God doesn't exist in my life in a personal way today unless I either decide to believe he exists or decide to live my life as if I believe he exists. But either decision, the big book's asking here for a decision, either decision profoundly affects my attitude and my attitude affects every aspect of my life. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. I'd like to thank everyone who has shared. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following the closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And will Carmela G. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Thank you, Julie. This is Carmela G. from New York. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.